Listening Society, a podcast dedicated to suspense, crime, and horror stories from the golden age of radio. I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. We love mysterious old-time radio stories, but do they stand the test of time? That's what we're here to find out. Between 1942 and 1943, John Dixon Carr had over 20 of his scripts produced by the legendary series Suspense, despite living in England at the time. In September of 1943, Carr began his own series, Appointment with Fear, on BBC Home Service. Appointment with Fear not only copied the format of suspense exactly, it also reused several of Carr's scripts. The first episode featured one of his most famous suspense contributions, Cabin B-13. Today we'll be listening to the second episode in the series, a version of Edgar Allan Poe's famous story, The Pit and the Pendulum, which Carr had initially adapted for suspense. Listeners who were familiar with suspense would recognize more than just some of the scripts. Earlier in 1943, Joseph Kearns served as the announcer for Suspense and had developed the persona of the Man in Black for his introductions. Carr made sure that appointment with fear had its own Man in Black, brought to life by the unmistakable voice of Valentine Dial. Appointment with Fear ran from 1943 to 1955, with a short revival in 1976. But the show cast a long shadow. A subsequent series known as The Man in Black enjoyed a short run in 1949 with Dial returning to the title role. Fear on Four, which we have featured several times in this podcast, ran from 1988 to 1993 with Edward D'Souza providing his voice for The Man in Black. Another audio series entitled The Man in Black ran from 2009 to 2011 with Mark Gaddis assuming the role of the host. One of the very earliest steps in that long path was this episode, an American writer's adaptation of one of the most famous American horror stories, first produced by a great American radio series, taking root on the British airwaves. This is The Pit and the Pendulum from the series Appointment with Fear, first broadcast September 18th, 1943. It's late at night, and a chill has set in. You're alone, and the only light you see is coming from an antique radio. Listen to the sounds coming from the speaker. Listen to the music. And listen to the voices. Appointment with fear. This is your storyteller. The Man in Black. Here again to bring you another story in our series, Appointment with Fear, starring Marius Goring. It's a famous story from the black books of old Spain, of a prisoner in the grasp of the Inquisition. And while we take you into a strange dungeon, to be shadowed by an even stranger menace, We trust we shall keep our promise to bring you an appointment with fear. Edgar Allan Poe's story, The Pit and the Pendulum, 
Adapted for broadcasting by John Dixon Carr. I was sick, sick unto death with that long agony. And when at length they unbound me and I was permitted to sit, I felt that my senses were leaving me. The sound of the inquisitorial voices seemed merged in one dreamy and determinate hum. Yet, for a while I saw, but with how terrible an exaggeration. I saw the soft and nearly imperceptible waving of the sable draperies on the walls of the room. I saw the flames of the seven tall candlesticks which burned on the table. I saw the lips of the black-robed judges. And these lips appeared to me white, white as paper, white as horror. I saw them writhe with a deadly locution. I saw them fashion the syllables of my name. Jean Delbray, Captain Jean Delbray. Good fathers, gentlemen. We hear you, my son. I have been confined for many months in a dungeon. I have been tormented by nightmares. Of conscience, one trusts. Pray silence, Fry, until you. Even now I have no knowledge of where I am or to whom I may be speaking. You are speaking to me, my son. I am Fra Pedro Despila, prior of the Dominicans of Segovia and Grand Inquisitor for all Spain. Is this the court of the Inquisition? It is. Then God help me. He will help you, my son, if you trust him. But I am a French officer. That is true. A soldier and creature of the archfiend Napoleon Bonaparte. But a French officer, nonetheless. A prisoner of war. By what right do you try me in this court? Let the clerk read the charges against this prisoner. Pray silence while the clerk reads the charges. The charges against the prisoner are as follows. Imprimis that he is one Jean d'Albray, a captain of artillery in the army of Bonaparte, so-called emperor of the French. This means nothing. As the prisoner says, it is no crime. Proceed. Item that on the fourth day of September in the year of our Lord, 1808, the said Jean d'Albret did wed, espouse, and marry that most noble lady, the Donna Beatrice Valdez, niece and ward of the illustrious... One moment. Your Excellency spoke. Fra Antonio, was any cheat employed to trap this girl into marriage against her will? No. We have no actual evidence of any cheat. Was the girl obeyed? I believe so. Then wherefore is the prisoner here? This marriage was a deplorable thing, if you like. Bonaparte himself is almost at the gates of Madrid. His general La Salle menaces our city of Toledo itself. But lawful marriage, however regrettable, is no sin or crime. There are other matters in the indictment, I think. Then continue. But give us nothing that is not material. Item that on the 12th of October, 1808, the said Jean d'Albray, being in command of a five-gun battery of light artillery, did direct the fire of his guns against the Holy Church of St. Martha the Innocent. And thereby of his wicked malice destroyed the church utterly. Captain d'Albray, is this charge true? 
Yes, you admit it. Good father, hear what I have to say. The church blew up, I think. Would you boast of your sin, young man? It blew up because it was stored with kegs of gunpowder for your army. I had every right to fire on it. And that is all the defense you have to make. I tell you I had every right to fire on it. By military law. Is military law above God's law? I don't know. I did my duty. Long live the emperor. Captain Dalbray, hear the sentence of this court. Had your offense been any except this, the holy office would have been merciful. Mark what I say. No man, however great his heresy, is ever condemned to be burnt in the fire. The fire. The fire. The fire. If he first recant and acknowledge the error of his ways. But for you, Jean Delbray, there can be no mercy, no pity, no atonement. The only sentence of this court can be... Death. 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 The secular or government arm to which we must release you has devised two ways of punishment in cases such as yours. You hear the tolling of bells? I hear them. It is the procession of the condemned going to the altar de la fe. Soon the yellow light of the flames will stream through the windows and flicker on floor and ceiling. Most of those condemned out of mercy will be strangled before they are burned. It cannot be so with you, Jean Delbray. You must die in one of two ways. Either with the direst of physical agony... A slow fire of green wood. Iced bandages about the head and heart so that the fire does not approach too quickly. Be silent, Fra Antonio. I cry your pardon, Grand Inquisitor. Or else, Jean Dalbray, you must die in a certain other way. Have done with this. Pass your sentence and let me go. The law does not permit me to tell you now what this other way is. It must approach you slowly and force itself into your mind. It must stalk you like a tiger. It must bring you face to face at last with the King of Terrors. The sentence of this court, therefore... I had swooned. Yet still I will not say that all of consciousness was lost. In the deepest slumber, no. In delirium, no. In a swoon, no. In death, no. Even in the grave, all is not lost. There are shadows of memory which tell me indistinctly of tall figures that lifted me and bore me in silence down, down, still down, until a hideous dizziness oppressed me at that descent into the earth. There was a vague horror at my heart because of that heart's unnatural stillness. Then this consciousness swam back to my wits again. Darkness. A stone floor. And darkness. Oh, Beatrice. Oh, my wife. 
Did you call me, Jean? Beatrice? Was that you who spoke? Yes, Jean. You? Here? In the dungeons of the Inquisition? I am not really speaking to you, my poor Jean. I am only in your imagination. Am I mad, then? No. But your brain is fevered. You only think you hear me. I hear you clearly. As clearly as I once heard you. In the little church near the Ebro. Where we were married. Yes. I destroyed that church, Beatrice. I had to. It was my commanding officer's order. I know, Jean. Be comforted. There are those who care. You won't leave me. As long as I am in your heart, I shall be here. I was strong once. Now I am weak. Once I was reckless. But now I am afraid. Where am I, Beatrice? What are they going to do to me? I cannot tell. Remember, my voice comes only from your own brain. Are you fettered? No. They have not chained you to the wall? No. They've taken away my uniform. They've given me sandals and a robe of what feels like coarse serge. But I'm still free. <laughs> free. Take courage, Jean. Free. And in the grasp of the Inquisition, Beatrice. Yes, Jean? It is completely dark. There's hardly any air. I dread to get up. And I dread to stretch out my hand. <gasps> Suppose they have buried me alive. Courage. Can you stand up? I think so. Then walk. Walk as far as you can. Measure the limit of the cell. If this is not a tomb. You're right, Beatrice. As always, I'll try. Are you on your feet? Yes. Now pray for a poor devil who always meant well. One pace. Two. Three. Four. You are very weak, Jean. Rest a moment. Where are you now, Beatrice? In the flesh, I mean. You know that, Jean. In the old house by the olive grove. Scorned of my people. Yes, I know it. Each morning I climb to the hilltop and watch. Go on. Sometimes I think I hear gun wheels rumble in the hills. And long moving columns with the red dust rising about them. Go on. First come the heavy cavalry in plume-crested helmets. On their flanks, wheeling like hawks. Light hussars in blue and scarlet. And behind them, in a glitter of bayonets as vast as light points in the sea. Rank upon rank, the long grey coats and tall bearskin caps of... The old guard and the grand army! It is only a vision, my dear one. They do not come. Will they ever come, Beatrice? I cannot tell. Then I must face what has been prepared for me. Beatrice. Yes, John? I tried to walk. I took some steps. Four steps, yes. But in which direction? I can't remember. Are you facing in the same way? I don't know, perhaps. 
Then walk again. Try. Keep your hand in front of you. This robe impedes me, and the floor is treacherous with slime, but I'll try. Four paces. Five. Six. Seven. It can't be a tomb. Eight. Nine. Look out! What is it? My hand is in front of me, lower than my face. But I feel nothing. Nothing, Jean? It's a pit. A circular pit. And I fell on the very edge of it. They would have made you walk into it. Yes. There's a loose fragment of rock just inside the edge. If only I can dislodge it. Listen. There's something down there. Rats, it may be. Rats, yes, but... something else. I heard it move. So did I. Accident saved me. They would have had me plunge there symbolically, like the descent of the soul, to keep company with something else. And quick death forms no part of their plan. What is in the pit, John? I can't say. Did you say I was saved, Beatrice? Saved from the Inquisition? My torture has been merely postponed. A deep sleep fell upon me. A sleep like that of death. How long it lasted, I know not. But when I opened my eyes once again, I could see. Yes, see. My prison was large and lofty. Its walls formed of massive iron plates bolted or joined together. A wild, sulfurous luster, I could not trace its origin, lit up the dungeon on the circular pit and the crudely daubed skeleton figures painted in evil colors on the iron walls. Skeleton figures, demon fillers, gargoyle figures. Their colors a little blurred, as from the effects of the damp. And I... It must approach you slowly and force itself into your mind. It must talk to you like a tiger. It must bring you face to face at last with the king of tigers. I now lay on my back, on its full length on a low framework of wood. To this framework I was securely bound by a long fastening resembling a surgical bandage. Bound. But why? 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 The bandage passed round and round my body, leaving at liberty only my head and my left arm. 
With much exertion, I could supply myself with food from an earthen dish on the floor beside me. It was meat, highly seasoned, and there was no water. Beatrice, Beatrice, where are you? I am here, Jean, as always. Your voice sounds stronger. Does it, Jean? And I can see you now. I can see you as clearly as I saw you months ago. Oh, I wish it were true. Ah, your bonnet and the parasol you carried in summer and the high-waisted blue dress. You are weaker, my dear, and more fevered. Have I been asleep? Yes, Jean. They must have been here while I slept. They have bound me. Why? 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 Stop those voices! Stop them! Mine too, Jean. I am not here either, you know. Don't drive me away. Beatrice. Look. Where? At the ceiling of the room. Thirty, forty feet up. What do you see? I see painted on the ceiling a figure of Father Time. Anything else? But Father Time carries no scythe. He carries instead what looks like a... a gigantic pendulum from an ancient clock. About one thing I swear I am in my right senses. I saw that pendulum move. A painting cannot move. Yet I swear the pendulum did. It swung a little back and forth. Just like a real pendulum. Try not to trouble your brain. Father Time is not like those other paintings daubed on the walls, the imps and devils and skeletons. That pendulum is real. It... Beatrice, take care! Take care of what? You are not looking at the pendulum now. Take care of the rats! The rats from the pit! I see them. They're swarming out in dozens. You can see their eyes glitter. What are the rat across the hem of your dress? Did it, John? What do they want? They have caught the scent of the meat in the dish beside you. But they'll not get it. Fat, you vermin. Move your hand above the plate, John. Move. Beatrice, where are you going? I can hardly hear you. You are sending me away, John. I sending you away. My poor loved one. You can't bear to see the rats running about my feet, can you? Even when you know I'm not here. Beatrice. It is true, John. You are sending me. Yes, it's true. In a cell swarming with vermin, there are others I had rather see here. I had rather see. If you call me Captain Dalbray, then in spirit I am here. Who are you? Don't you recognize me? No. I am that second inquisitor... Fra Antonin, whom you thought unfair at your trial. But we were not unfair. We administer the law. That is all. Go. I command you, go. Not until I have first told you what you already guessed. Which is? As the Grand Inquisitor said, there are two forms of death for such as you. One, death with its direst physical torture. The other, death with its direst mental torture. And I have been condemned to the second? Your guess is good. 
Listen. Do you hear anything? Yes. I hear something. Turn your eyes upwards. Look at the ceiling. The pendulum. Aye, the pendulum. It has descended. Only a foot or so as yet. As you notice, it is not really a pendulum. No? No. Its underside is a crescent formed of sharp, of razor-sharp steel. You mean... A ponderous weight, Captain Dalbray. Its movement is slow now, but soon it will take on momentum. It will swing wider and wider, 30 feet perhaps. Presently, as it swings, you will hear it hiss. And with each broad movement, it will creep a trifle lower. The steel is directly above me. Yes, above the region of your heart. Lie still and look up at it. How long before? You need have no immediate fear. It will not be too soon. But how soon? Who can tell? In the name of pity, give me some answer. Hours, perhaps days. Oh. Its motion can be arrested while you sleep. It's beginning to swing wider. I can't take my eyes from it. Its glitter fascinates you. See how it shines in that wild light. And this is your utmost refinement in cruelty? The law, Captain Talbray, is never cruel. And now, still in spirit, I leave you to your meditation. Minutes, hours, days, down, steadily down it crept. Days passed, it might have been many days, before it swept so closely as to fan me with its acrid breath. The odor of the sharp steel forced itself into my nostrils. To the right, to the left, far and wide, with the shriek of a damned spirit, to my heart, with the stealthy pace of a tiger. Down, certainly relentlessly down, I prayed. I wearied heaven with my prayer for its more speedy descent. I grew frantically mad and struggled to force myself up against that swinging, glittering death of no avail. Down, still unceasingly, still inevitably down, the sharp steel flashed past within three inches of my chest. And then, only then... I heard you calling, Jean. I am here. Here is a strange thing, Beatrice. I am quite calm. You are resigned, then? No. That is a strange thing, too. Even now, I am not resigned. Is there no way out? How can there be ten, twelve more vibrations and it will fray the surge of my robe? Only lightly, as a razor in a delicate hand. There will be many sweeps before it bites deep. I can't escape it. And yet... And yet? Ah, if I could only use my wits. You kept me away from you, Jean. 
You locked me out of your thoughts. If I am here only in your thoughts, why should I fear the rats? The rats? You open your eyes and your eyes blaze. What is it? The rats! Do they still swarm here? Across the floor and over the meat platter. They have taken nearly all your food. Yes, yes, they are ravenous. And they have sharp teeth. Well? The meat is oily and spiced. If I take what remains of it, scatter you vermin. And rub that meat on the bandages that hold me here. Try it, John. Try it. It may be too late if I move my body a fraction of an inch up. Try it, I tell you. Try it. Look, they scatter as soon as I do try. But they are watching you. I can see their eyes glitter. They are creeping back. Can I scan those rats crawling across me? Can the flesh bear it? One of them has leaped on the wooden framework. Another follows. They are gnawing at the bandage. Seven... Eight more sweeps of the pendulum. Does the bandage give way? A little. Light still, light still. Ten. A dozen rats now. Is death, I wonder, worse than this disgust? A dozen sharp knives could do no better. The bandage could loosen to ribbons. It can move sideways, carefully, and drop to the floor. Beatrice, I can't move. My arms and legs are numb. There is no power to... Feel has frayed your robe. A minute more will be too late. Try. Then, with all the strength that is in me, and the hatred I bear my enemies. Three. A second time. Three. Seizure. The pendulum stops. They're drawing it back up through the roof. <laughs> Each move I make is watched. You never doubted that. No. Yet with all they could do to you, they have failed twice. They will not fail a third time, my dear. There must be no more dallying with the King of Terrors. What else can they do? I can't say. See how the rats gnaw in silence with the bandage. To what? Food, I wonder, have they been accustomed in the pit? To escape the pit? I escaped it once. Listen. What do you hear? A groaning. A grinding as of metal. It was only the cogwheels of the pendulum knife. I think not, Beatrice. Why not? It seemed to come from behind these iron-plated walls... It seemed to shake the dungeon as a mill wheel might shake it. Stand up, my poor Jean. Get up off your knees. I can't, Beatrice. I can't endure anymore. The paintings on the walls of this dungeon. The skeletons and imps and devils. They seem different. They are different. The colors sharpen and grow bright. The demon eyes glare. The skeleton hands outstretched. Don't you catch even yet the odor of heated iron? Heated iron? I am being much humbled, but I won't have you see me in tears. I order you to go. Go in the name of heaven. Yes, in the name of heaven, go.
suffocating heat pervaded the prison. A deeper glow settled in the painted eyes that glared at me. I could draw no breath of air into my lungs. Against the loom of that fiery destruction, the thought of the pit and its coolness came like balm. I staggered to the edge of the pit. I looked into it. The enkindled walls and roof lighted to it to its depths. Yet for one wild moment, even then, I refused to believe the meaning of what I saw. Does the pit please you, Captain Dalbray? You again? Do you find its contents pleasing? <laughs> Not the pit! Merciful God, anything but the pit! And how shall you avoid it? Look! The dungeon has changed its shape. That is true. The walls are closing in. It was formerly a square, and now it is flattening slowly towards the center to force me into the pit. Of course. It will force you along with me. Again, apparently you must be told, Captain Dalbray, that you are speaking only to your own sick fancy. I am not here at all. Farewell. And now, flatter and flatter grew the red burning walls. With a swiftness that left me no time for thought, I shrank back, but the closing walls pressed me resistlessly onward. At length, for my seared and writhing body, there was no longer any inch of foothold. I tottered on the edge of the pit. <laughs> there was a discordant hum of human voices. There was a loud blast as of many trumpets. The fiery walls rushed back. An outstretched arm caught my own as I fell fainting into the abyss. It was that of General LaSalle. The French army had entered Toledo. The Inquisition was in the hands of its enemies. That was The Pit and the Pendulum from Appointment with Fear here on the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society podcast. Once again, I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. And that was my pick this week, uh, bringing to the podcast and uh, give you a little background and explanation as I am. Uh, explain yourself, Eric. <laughs> I will explain it, Lucy. Uh, I uh, was listening to many things. And really, really trying to get another episode of Big Town into this podcast. <laughs> and uh, you're a long way from Big Town. Oh, I am a way uh, away from We've Big never Town. had Big Town in this podcast. That was just for Patreons. So oh. if you would like to hear us talk about Big Town. Big Town. That's a secret. Go to patreon.com slash the morals. That's a secrets episode? Yep. Yes. Oh. Well, it turns out, after listening to many Big Towns, I accidentally that one time... Pick the only one that it was worth listening to. Because <laughs> I couldn't find one. I was like, ah, no, no, no. So you know the rabbit hole of the internet. Boom, boom, boom. I'm on radio this, radio drama that. And boom, boom, boom. I don't even know how I got there. 
went, what is appointment with fear? I've never heard of this. We've discussed it on the podcast. Sure, sure. We've never done it. We've never featured it, but yeah. we have discussed it. So I look it up on Ghoulish Delight. It's like, we haven't done appointment with fear. Good. Well, what is this? And it starts, the first one I listened to, which wasn't this one. And I went, well, this is suspense. <laughs> <laughs> and I stopped and went, all right, I've got to do some research. So that's when I found out, oh, yeah, this is the BBC version of Suspense, and they basically did Suspense with a different name, and great. Okay, now I understand. Awesome. I didn't know. Yes, I'm sure you told me, but I didn't remember knowing that there was a BBC version of Suspense, and I didn't, all the stuff that we just read in the beginning here is all new to me. And so I was like, oh, cool. The first one I listened to, I went, that was awesome. And it isn't this one. <laughs> I'm going to tell you why. So I listened to him. That was fantastic. I really enjoyed that. That was a lot of fun. The version that exists of that one, which I think is the talking clock, it's called, doesn't have the opening and the close. It doesn't exist anymore. So it just starts in the story. And for our listeners, for the first time of bringing appointment with fear to the table, I wanted them to hear all the suspense ripoff and the man in black and the, and the music, do you know what I mean? So yep. it's, all right. So now I can only find four episodes that exist of this. Am I wrong? Are there more? I nope, couldn't there find There are four episodes. That's that it. Exist, so I'm right. So that's sad because I listened to all four loved them. They were really good. I loved them a lot. I chose this one because, oh, well, I know I'm doing this. We've never done it. It's suspense. They'll be shocked to find out that there was a suspense in England and you weren't. <laughs> and we then, were excited. But then I finally picked Pit and the Pendulum. Not only did I love it, but I said, and because I love Joshua, oh. I'm going to go with the car. Well, they're all car adaptations for Point of Fear, but then also some Edgar Allan Poe. Uh, but I will say that I, uh, you know, letting the cat out of the voting bag here, which is, that's not a real sentence. But um, uh, I. Uh, no wonder we need voting reform in this country. That is cruel. <laughs> I uh, really had a great time listening to all four of the uh, remaining episodes of this. And now it's a damn shame. Now I'm mad. There's only four of these? Why? The BBC is notorious for not saving anything, uh, whether it be radio shows, whether it be TV shows, they famously just re-record over the same tape. Except Doctor Who's. No, they erased. Oh, Don't it. get me started. <laughs> and also Valentine Dial, if you're a Doctor Who fan, uh, played a great villain in the 80s, and that's the only voice I can hear is the <laughs> Black Guardian. Am I right, guys? Yes. yes. <laughs> the man in Black Guardian? I stole a lot of this intro from a previous uh, intro for Fear on 4 and had to pull out all the Doctor Who references. <laughs> you knew I'd just bring them. <laughs> I, that uh, thing's, I don't know how many of these scripts still survive in their suspense form, but a lot of these were from suspense, like mm -hmm. literally. Well, this one was written by Edgar Allan Poe. <laughs> yes, but this one still exists as a suspense story, and I have heard it before on suspense. I huh. listened to it and went, wait, I've heard this before. <laughs> Uh, and then I realized, oh, it's suspense. Well, let's start there. Which version was better, the suspense version or the appointment with fear version? Uh, the scripts are identical. So it's uh, what about acting-wise? I'd have to hear it okay. again and compare them, but I heard it years ago. But I remembered because of the additions made, the story mm -hmm. is not changed, but Carr does a lot 
to adapt this from a one-man short story into a full-cast audio drama. Those are the parts that stood out to me. And the other uh, full disclosure. I now, for the first time in my life, know what the pit and the pendulum is all about. (laughs) That was my question. Is yeah, what no. your past experience was like? Have you seen adaptations? Wait, you didn't read this in school. I had to nah. read this in middle school. B plus and out the door, man. <laughs> <laughs> no, if I did, you can't not read the stories and get a B plus. This is like C minus and out the door. <laughs> I, I, I don't remember reading it. So for me, listening to this, I don't know the story. I don't know what's happening. I don't know where it's going to go. So for me, without that stress or pressure on it, I was like. Wow, hey, Poe, nice work. That's a good story. That's, that's nice. I like it. Uh, and, and suspenseful and terrifying and cool. And uh, and I thought it was great. I had a really good time. I so often have that same reaction that I'm so glad to hear coming out of somebody else's mouth. of like, hey, esteemed author whose work has been revered for <laughs> decades. Good. <laughs> I like, like the thing you wrote. Uh, Kudos, Shakespeare. (laughs) So I do have a lot of questions. Like, how close is this to Poe's story? This is extremely close to Poe's story in content. Okay. I think the changes made were necessary, but from my point of view, really diminish the power of the story. And perhaps it's just one of those stories that for me just is far more effective as in prose. Right, right. Obviously, Carr has to add things like the trial, right? Mm-hmm. He has to add that as a scene instead of a summary. He has to give the prisoner somebody to talk to, or else it would just be him narrating. There's That's no, not in no, the story? No, there's no hallucinations of his wife. There's no mention of his wife, as I recall. I read it fairly recently, just a week or so ago, getting ready for this, and... There's no hallucinations of the Inquisitors or anything like that. You, oh, so Poe's po- so po story is terrible. No. Poe's story is very good, but a lot of to make the content of those discussions is just him observing them. Because yeah, I really like the hallucinations with his choice. wife. That was one of my favorite parts of this was him discussing with his wife and her going, you know, it's not, I'm not here. And it's his own brain yeah. fighting with him. I don't know I thought that was, you don't know. Yeah. So I thought it was cool. This is one of those times where we're just going to probably have different opinions based on our experience with the original short story. Because what I find most effective about Poe's original short story is this constant proximity you have as a reader to the narrator's tortured thoughts, his hopes, his mounting fear and terror, and you just don't get to escape. It's claustrophobic. And so from that point of view, again, I totally understand why Carr did what he did. Mm-hmm. It lets the li- the listener a little off the hook. It, it allows for some distance that I think reduces the tension yeah. for me, but I am a fan of the short story. I will agree with you hundred percent that this is done in a way where we're observing. And what you're talking about is being there. Yeah. You're feeling like you're in his head. head. Yeah, yeah. That's the impact of Poe's story is that the torture is being done to him. You are right there with him. Right. Well, I'm going to throw this out to you guys to see what you think. It struck me on my second listen that, <laughs> Me too. (laughs) (laughs) 
this was written in 1943, mm-hmm. which seems to me like, whoa, you're choosing to do a prisoner of war story oh, right. during World War II. That was A, a bold choice, and B, might explain some of the uh, emotional distancing oh, yeah. that he chose to do. Because you also have instances which... On my first listen, I was disappointed by because I felt it made the character uh, more of a square-jawed, infallible hero when we have these trial scenes where he stands up and he's very strong and he's very brave and he Mm -hmm. he speaks very um, uh, patriotically to the judges before they're sentencing him. And this guy is a just desperate mess from moment one in the short story. But then I realized, well, no, we've got to see during World War II that a soldier, a especially a French soldier, is going to stand up to his captors. So some propaganda and in this. I'm wondering a if bit. that was an intentional. And when his yeah, wife yeah. starts describing her visions of the French army, and the music swells, and it yep. gets really again, is that how patriotic. the short story ends? That he's saved by the French army? Yes, yes, okay. that is true. And so okay. that might have been the, really out of the blue in the story. Like what happened? <laughs> yeah, Carr does a lot of work. <laughs> To set that up. up. Right. But in the post story, it's that kind of thing where it's the last line of the story. And yes, it's a little bit of a non sequitur, but you made it all the way through st- the story. So he gets away with it, right? You're not, yeah. not going to give up on the story at that point because it's over. <laughs> Isn't that a little unlike Poe, though, not to just have the guy die or get killed well, it by is the like torture? A, it's a, a narrative of like either this guy lives or he is writing with the top half of a body that has been cut in half. Oh, right, right. Yeah, because it's narrated by him. And right. so you know no, he survives. Right, right, right. That opening trial... Or he's writing from the grave. True. <laughs> Some stories do that. <laughs> that opening trial scene, I, I did not think of it in that context. I really liked that addition um, because it was so disorienting. It started out disorienting. Like, I can't remember the exact opening line, but it's just, I'm sick. I don't really know who I'm talking to right now. Uh, and he has to sort out that I'm on trial with the Spanish Inquisition as opposed to for being a soldier. And they're kind of fishing for a crime to pin on me of like, you bombed a church. It was full of weapons. You married this girl, but it was okay. And, uh, because I love the Poe story so much. The decisions to add the uh, characters to talk to them, the things you were saying were a little disappointing for me, as well as... What an opportunity for Foley of that pendulum. That rhythm of that pendulum coming closer and closer and swinging back and forth. So you were disappointed by that? Yes. It it was thin. Yeah, exactly. And it might be other adaptations that I I have seen or heard where it is this big, heavy... That I'm a little spoiled on. It sounded a little like a Swiffer mop. Yes. (laughs) Flying past it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Which is terrifying if you have a lot of dusting to do. But <laughs> mm-hmm. but you're right. It is mostly just that format of you are so locked into that character in the story. Which I don't know why I crave. Like, I, I want to be tortured like that. I'm dumb. But, <laughs> <laughs> but it is what Poe did so well in the story uh, that although this is a good product, it is different than the story. Well, there's uh, another level to this in the original short story, and maybe you're familiar with this, Tim. There's been a lot of uh, critical discussion of the historical 
inaccuracies presented in the story about the Spanish Inquisition. And I am by no means a uh, history buff at all. That's not my thing. But uh, doing a little bit of research provided me the information that the the mention of Toledo places this during the Peninsula Wars, which would be the early 1800s, which happened long after the Spanish Inquisition, which lasted just a sickening amount of time, like from like the 15th century to the 17th. In addition, General LaSalle, who comes in and saves him at the end, uh, was not involved at all, according to history, in the occupation of Toledo, so would not have been there to save the narrator. So, oh, then there's also an epigraph to the original short story in Latin making reference to the reign of terror when translated, not the actual Spanish Inquisition. So the question asked by a lot of critics is, does this jumble of historical references and timelines indicate something meaningful Uh about the story? And so it has allowed some people to question whether the narrator is reliable. Does this suggest a disordered mind, an indication we should treat him as not a reliable inf- uh, source for information, mm-hmm. or was Poe merely drunk? Yeah, <laughs> drunk again, uh, but creating his own fictional world based on really recognizable historical moments and figures, so that the audience could mm-hmm. identify. Wasn't intended, but this is a way critics can read it as possibly being not exactly as the narrator represents it. <laughs> This entire thing may be delirium or something else. And so that's just appealing to me, but this story seems to really anchor it in reality. Particularly his wife, Beatrice, says, you are not mad, says the hallucination. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So there's a question mark there. But anyway, I thought that was interesting. And I thought it was interesting that at the time, Carr would have been aware of this. And he chose to interpret it as... This is what Poe intended, because he keeps all the historical inaccuracies right. intact. If that adds another layer of enjoyment uh, to it for you, so be it. If not, I'll cut this out later. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that's fascinating, because uh, as someone that writes a lot of things that I am inspired by historical rabbit holes on the internet, and I go, wow, that's a thing? And then I go, that's really interesting. And I take all the information from that thing, and I bend it to serve my needs. (laughs) And I frequently have done shows where afterwards people are like, is that a real thing? Well, yeah, parts of it are. And then I made some stuff up and uh, it made it work. You know, um, Da Vinci Code. uh, (laughs) You know, (laughs) I love stuff like that, like historical fiction. I think... Tim has the best theory that he was just drunk and got all his facts wrong. But short of that, I I do think he intended to just take what he wanted and abandon the rest. But I also like Mm -hmm. the idea of the narrator having such a disordered mind that he is uh, making chunks of this up or trying to piece together his rescue. And then maybe he never really mentally recovered from this ordeal. So it adds a, a layer, whether it's intentional or not, of complexity. It's been a while since I've read this story. That Father Time painting on the ceiling, that is from the story, if I'm remembering right. Is it Father Time or a, a Grim Reaper? But they, Father Time. Yeah. Father Time in this adaptation. Yeah, but he says, I think, in the story that instead of a scythe, he has this... The, Pendulum. Pendulum. Yeah. Yep. I love that detail of marking the rhythm of 
It's going to swing this many times and get a little bit closer each time. It's the timer on this guy's life. Again, if you haven't read the original story, I think that translates really well, particularly that last scene where Mm -hmm. that pendulum is getting closer and closer. And as he starts to figure out how to escape it, and he Mm -hmm. has this just crazy idea of rubbing the fat from the meat on the ropes or the bandages, whatever are holding him so that the rats free him. But this thing just gets closer and closer. And as an admirer of the story, I feel like occasionally his conversation with the wife adds another voice. So makes it orally interesting, but lacks the intensity of him in that focused, desperate moment on just the rats and the pendulum and the meat and timing it all. Yeah, and there, there's this laser focus in the story, and again, it's hard because I can't critique Carr because otherwise this would just be. Well, now I'm starting to think well, maybe he should have had William Conrad, and it <laughs> right, was a one man right. show. <laughs> I was just thinking the same thing. You know, like I, I was saying, like I agree that this is a good adaptation of that mm-hmm. story. Just there are parts of the story I love that get lost. Did this strike anyone else that this felt heavily influenced by Arch Obler? No. Did not strike me. I'm going to make a case for right. it. The use of very stylized narration, obviously that is from Poe, that, that heightened mm-hmm. language, but flashbacks, the repetition of words when he's on trial and the judges uh, go, oh, yeah, those uh, fire, 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 death, death, death. Um, just imagine voices, whether it be the, his wife, the inquisitor, and it just all has this hysteria that culminates in this release. If it was Obler, he'd be dead. (laughs) He would not be rescued. The the worms would crush him to death. Um, But I thought this owed a debt to Obler. Um, If I were to just climb out on an old-time radio limb and declare something true. Not a thing. (laughs) (laughs) Also, it was a thing that, like, some of these assistant judges had really weird voices, like... Like they had just woken up. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, fire. Uh, we're burning another heretic. <laughs> or they were the assistant manager at some yeah. shoe store. I don't know why I, these, I ascribed that voice to these kinds yeah. of people. but Like a Kinney shoes? Yeah, I like this. either the Spanish Inquisition <laughs> or a shoe store. Um, I, fire? I just brought up Kinney shoes. Yeah. Does that exist anymore? No, no. I don't think so. We barely exist anymore. Let's be honest. <laughs> We're old. Should we send it to the vote? Let's start with Joshua, being that this is somewhat of a gift for you. I will make one last comment. I'm sorry that I didn't get to, and that is the performances were a little stagey and overwrought for my taste. But again, on my second listen that Eric didn't do. (laughs) (laughs) You did for me. Yeah, it struck me that this, again, might be a very conscious decision to make this feel far away and distant. And so that listeners who had loved ones, brothers, sisters, husbands that could be in a Japanese prisoner of war camp at that moment we're, we're thinking more along Shakespearean lines than that's, um, that's where I'm going immediate with lines. The performance to me was intended the way they were doing it to make it sound old timey, mm-hmm. which is kind of the style of stage performance. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. So my vote. It is really hard with a straight face to say that Edgar Allan Poe does not stand the test of time. <laughs> so I think this definitely stands the test of time. And 
I appreciate the effort. I, I think it was a great stab at adapting this one man short story into, like I said, a full cast audio drama. And, and that is a huge challenge. But it just, as a fan of the short story, it didn't quite work for me. I thought there was just a little too much for me lost in translation and the new thing wasn't necessarily as compelling as the old. However, I think it might be a totally different experience if you are not familiar with the old. I find it historically fascinating and really informative and educational from an adaptation point of view. It gave me a lot to think about. Tim? Yeah, I think particularly as a as an example of an adaptation, it stands the test of time. Like this is a really good adaptation of this story. Uh, I split hairs with it because there are things that I really like in the story that this doesn't focus on, but not in the way of like, well, that ruins it. Right. Um, so I would not call it a classic. It doesn't knock it out of the park, but it is excellent. Um, stands the test of time. From someone that has never heard Adventures in Fear. Is that what it's called? A point with fear. fear. <laughs> I didn't know it existed. I had never heard uh, a Red Pose story. <laughs> Google had, alert of fear would be the modern version <laughs> of it. Right? I have no experience with anything from the, uh, the, the show to Poe's writing. So uh, for me... Everything was super exciting. Uh, first of all, that man in black. <laughs> yes, he's, he's fantastic. fantastic. Yeah, we did not talk about the framing sequence. Oh, my God. He is great. Finding out there's only four of these. Ah, that sucks. Uh, you all listeners and you two. All the rest of them will be on this podcast soon. <laughs> we are doing all the appointments with fears. In fact, you can count on it. Next time it's mine, I'm going to do all of these in a row because I love all of them so much. I thought they were great. I didn't know the Poe story. I was like, sweet. I finally get to find out what Pit and Pendulum is all about because I know of it, of course. And I thought it was all really well done. And I enjoyed it a lot. And I liked the show a lot. And I... Uh, I won't say classic, uh, but uh, I really think it stands the test of time and really, really liked it a lot. So that's where I'm at. I'm going to sneak in one more comment. that it, um, <laughs> I loved Valentine Dial as the man in black. That voice is so mm-hmm. distinctive and rich and mm-hmm. terrifying. <laughs> uh, but it is really hard as an American who's listened to so much suspense when they try to fit appointment with fear into the suspense sting. At right. that moment, when he says, it seems like he's saying so many words. <laughs> we trust we shall keep our promise to bring you an appointment with fear. All right, Tim, tell him stuff. Go visit ghoulishdelights.com, home of this podcast. You'll find many other episodes there, uh, including some Fear on 4, if you'd like to hear some of that. Uh, Which is really good. Really good. uh, A descendant of this series, as it were. Um, You can leave comments on episodes. Let us know what you thought. You can send us messages if you'd like to let us know what episodes you want to hear on this podcast. You can also link to our social media pages. You can link to our Threadless store and buy some swag. And you can go visit our Patreon page. Yes, go to patreon.com slash the morals right now. Drop whatever you're doing. I don't care if you're 
holding a nuclear bomb or a baby. Go to patreon.com slash or both and support this podcast right now. Why does that baby have a nuclear bomb? <laughs> and if you're wondering why you should, just go back and listen to the last 200-some episodes. <laughs> it's an important thing to do. Do it now. Yeah, and uh, Fear on 4 is the mod of All in the Family. Oh! Yeah, spin-off. That's what I was going to say. Not worth it. Hey, uh, if you'd like to uh, see us performing live, we do audio theater, recreations of old-time radio show classics and not-so-classics, and a lot of our own original audio theater drama. So please come see us live. You can find out where we're performing and what we're performing monthly. We're somewhere every month by going to ghoulishdelights.com or mysteriousoldradiolisteningsociety.com. Just look out your window. We might be there. We might be there. <laughs> Hi. Hi. Here's a... Appointment with fear. With <laughs> fear. Um, so uh, if, you, if you're not in the neighborhood when we're performing and you can't come to the show live, you can always buy a ticket and watch. Or refuse uh, to open your window. Right. <laughs> you can always live stream it. We have uh, uh, excellent live streaming, not gross, shaky phone <laughs> live streaming. <laughs> but if you want gross live streaming and are willing to pay for it, we'll do it. Yeah, we'll shake a phone. <laughs> <laughs> What are we doing next? Next, we have a listener request. We are going to return to a series that we have not visited in quite a while, considering its stature. We will be listening to an episode of Quiet, Please, called Clarissa. Until then... We trust we shall keep our promise to bring your... Big Town!